Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoyed the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Thank you for that incredible introduction, Dr. Aiken. Yeah, I, I, uh, I did attend Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary three times. I felt like that scene in The Godfather 3, a movie you should never watch, but nonetheless, every time I'm out, I get sucked right back in, you know what I mean? And so I, uh, Dr. Aiken actually was serving as a reference for me for doctoral pr- uh, program at another institution, which will stay unnamed. He said, I'll do that for you, but I'm coming to Orlando. I want you to drive me to the airport. So uh, I got in the car. And uh, all I know is 20 minutes later, I got out of the car saying, yes, sir, I'll send my application in and I'll be back there this next year. So, um, so anyways, we love this school. I love this school. Um, my wife and I kind of held hands and reminisced and walked across the campus last night, which I know sounds so silly. And, and I wanted to make fun of myself doing it, right? But um, there's just a handful of things that have fundamentally impacted the trajectory of our lives and our our pilgrimage, our story, our ministry, uh, like Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And I'll never forget coming to this seminary and being welcomed. I'm so grateful for all the professors, uh, at least most of them, and uh, I'm so grateful for all the professors and uh, Dr. Aiken and his leadership. And this is I'm just telling you, I know it's kind of hard to see sometimes because you feel like you're trying to, you've jumped in the deep into the pool without any floaties on and you're just trying to make it through. But I'm telling you, this is, uh, this is one of the greatest places that you could spend a few years of your life on the planet. And uh, we personally are very, very grateful for it. Well, if you have your Bible, I hope you do, uh, being that you are a Baptist at a seminary. Good heavens. Anyways, if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to take it and turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. In a moment, we're going to begin reading in verse 39. Of course, our Lord would go to the cross and he would spend between the hours of 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. on the cross. He would make a multiplicity of statements during that time, but there's a couple of statements made early on that are very insightful as far as understanding the heart and the desired will of God, the mission of God, if you will. And of course, the first statement that we have from Christ on the cross, which is not going to be our focus this morning, is, you know, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now that day in the audience, there was, there was the whole world represented, I believe. There was a microcosm of the entire planet, all of history past and future, in some way, shape, or form represented in the audience that day. You literally had the Roman soldiers who were gambling for his clothes at the foot of the cross. They mocked him. You had the the, the criminals who mocked him were on either side of the cross. You had everyone in the mob and the crowd that day who had cursed him and who had mocked him. You had the religious leaders of the Jewish religion who were sneering, literally looking down their noses or turning up their noses to him. The the book of Matthew even teaches us that those coming in and out of the city that day joined in mocking Jesus. That day, it is important to understand the whole world stood guilty. 
And the first response from the lips of our Savior was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, you're going to have to be patient with me. I had to take some of the same language classes a few times just to get through, so I wasn't the, the model student. But i got to tell you, that word forgive, Father, forgive them, exists for us in the imperfect tense, which indicates that the repeated action, if you will, in the past tense possibly. Could it be that when Jesus was nailed to the cross and had this microcosm of the entire world in front of him, mocking him in that very moment, that with every part of that crowd, he looked at those soldiers and he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And to that mob over there, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And when the, when the religious leaders sneered at him, he looked down from the cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And when the criminals on each side of him mocked him, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And when the, when the, when the passerbys who just joined in the crowd that day mocked him, he again stated, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. I don't know how long this happened, right? I mean, you know, this happened an hour or two hours, this first statement. I don't know how often it was repeated. But I know this. The people who heard these words the closest were, of course, the criminals hanging on either side of the cross. And so I want us to look, beginning in verse 39, and we'll see the second statement from Christ on the cross. And really, it's a conversation, if you will, between two criminals and then between a criminal and the crucified Messiah. Verse 39 reads, Then one of the criminals who hanged blasphemed him, saying, and I, you got to love this, right? I mean, you got to, like, it, there's a part of this that so he is mocking Jesus. He is ignorant of the fact that he is the true Messiah. But then you've got to love the fact that this guy is looking out for himself as well. He, he goes, so, so he blasphemed him saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself. And you can almost hear him go, and us, right? Okay, Save yourself and us. But the other, that is to say the other criminal, answered him, rebuking him, saying, do you not even fear God? Seeing you are under the same condemnation, this is a statement of confession, These next, this, next, this verse and the next verse, a statement of confession and a statement of faith, if I ever heard one. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. In other words, one criminal saying to the other criminal, we deserved this. Now, why did they deserve this? Well, who should have been on that cross that day in Jesus's place. Well, if you back the, if you back the tape up just a handful of hours, uh, you, you know that there was a guy named Barabbas. Now, we don't know exactly who Barabbas was, but most historians agree that Barabbas was an insurrectionist. He wanted to lead a revolution against the Roman government. Barabbas was a Jew who was tired of living under the boot of the Roman Empire, and he was going to fight back. Now, the only problem with that is as he fought back and killed Roman soldiers and fought against the Roman government, as he fought back and tried to lead a movement, the Roman government didn't like it very much. And so they arrested him along with those who were following him. Now, the Jews believed that there would be a Messiah, someone who would come and deliver their people, right? And there was actually some who believed that Messiah might be of military strength. I want you to get the image that's happening here before we continue to read. Could it be, 
I want you to see the, the, the grace of God in this text before we even get to the words of Jesus. That could it be this criminal hanging on the cross next to Jesus had spent the majority of his adult life following a false Messiah and now in his dying moments and in God's infinite grace and sovereignty, he has made sure that he is hanging on the cross next to the true Messiah so that he can now see the kindness of God on display as he listened to Jesus extend words of forgiveness over and over and over again to a crowd that mocked him. It's a different perspective. We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now he says the word kingdom. This is very important here. This, this criminal, and it's important that we understand he's a criminal, not a thief. When we use the word thief in, 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 in our English language, we think of someone who steals something. No, he was a criminal. He was part of a group of people who wanted to lead a revolution against the Roman government. And so he is a criminal in the eyes of the Roman government. And so this, this criminal looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, remember me when you come into, and he uses the word kingdom. And now we have Jesus' second statement from the cross. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, or, or truly, I say to you, Today you will be with me. And he doesn't use the word kingdom, but he says, In paradise. I want us to spend a few moments understanding or kind of breaking down this second statement from Christ on the cross to the criminal. And the first word that we see is the word truly. Truly, We see that Jesus always amens or says amen to a bold and honest confession. I love the word that Jesus uses here. He uses it over 70 times in the gospel. This word truly, it is oftentimes translated amen. It is a word, of course, we understand what the word amen means. It is a word of affirmation to something. I love the fact that here is a, here is a criminal who has followed a false messiah. He is hanging next to the true Messiah, admits his guilt, and the very first word out of Jesus' mouth was a word of affirmation. Jesus always says amen to a bold and honest confession. I think it is a great example for those of us in this room today, I, you're going to spend, a, you know, whether it's the college at Southeastern or the seminary program or whatever degree program you're in, the, the amount of knowledge that you will take in is hard to even understand as you are going through it. And it's hard for me to even understand looking back upon it because basically this education, uh, this school, this institution prepared me to learn and to grow for the rest of my life. So it's, it's hard to ever really get your mind around that. But I do know this, at the end of the day, at the heart of it all, at the, at the, at the outset of it all, as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, those set apart to the gospel of God, to proclaim the good news of God in Christ Jesus, when you come face to face with the ugliness of the sin of this word world, we should be those who are on the front lines extending grace to those who need it the most. Do you believe that? 
Do you believe that the church of Jesus Christ should be the most affirming place on the planet? The question we have to ask ourselves is how often is it? What kind of a minister do you want to be? Whether you're going to be a counselor, whether you're going to be a preacher, pastor, professor, what, what kind of a minister do you want to be? How do you want to serve? How do you want to be known? And my hope and my prayer for you would be that you, you would be the type of person who is quick to extend grace. Do you know what I've learned? Those who have truly experienced grace are those who are quickest to extend it. This guy was hanging on the cross saying, listen, I am guilty. I'm the biggest sinner in this crowd today. He sees himself in like the kindness of God has already been demonstrated. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. He sees the kindness of God on display and it is the kindness of God that has now led him to repentance. It is the kindness of God that has led him to feel the full weight of his sin, which is why he cries out to Jesus, remember me. I have three little kids at home and I'm so uh, honored to be their dad. I love being a parent. It's the, it's the greatest uh, hobby on the, in the world. I know it's not a hobby, but if you're, if you're a parent, you know you don't have hobbies. Your kids are your hobbies, right? And so I, I love being a parent. It, 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 it's the greatest form of entertainment on the planet as well. If, you, if, you've not, if you've not done it one day, I fully recommend it, okay? So we, we re-up three times. We got three little youngsters running around. And, and I'll never forget when my, my, young, my oldest, my firstborn, my son came to me and he goes, Dad, I, I want I, I want to be a Christian and I want to be baptized. Right? And I'm, I'm so excited, right? I mean, I, every parent, right? You pray for this from the moment they're born, from the moment you find out that your wife is pregnant. You want this moment, right? This is the moment. And so, and so we go into my, I have a little study at my house. We go into uh, the study at my house and we sit down in, in my house and, and I sit down knee to knee with him. And I said, Gabriel, well, just tell dad what's on your heart and what's in your mind. And, and he starts talking to me and, and, and I start asking him questions. And, and, and I, I told him to bring his Bible. He brought his Bible. He got all the questions right. He could look up all the right verses. And we talked for about 45 minutes. And, and I, was, I was so proud of him that in this moment, he knew these answers and, and and in this moment, he knew the, that Jesus was the way. And in this moment, he could turn to this verse and to that verse. And so after about 45 minutes, we shut our Bibles. And I, I looked at him. I said, Gabriel, look right here. Look in daddy's eyes. I got one last question for you. Remember, he's the oldest of three. I got one last question for you. Who's the biggest sinner in the house? He did not even hesitate. He said, oh, dad, that's easy. It's mercy. And he named his youngest sister. Right? Now, to his credit, he might have been right. I mean, you know, because Mercy is our youngest, and just the day before Mercy, I was in the front of the house, and Mercy and my middle child were in the back of the house, and they were supposed to be playing, but my second born child was picking on Mercy, my youngest child, and, and literally picking on her, pick, 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 and had her, her, picked on her to the point where her back was against the wall at one point, and she looked over and she saw a plug plugged into the wall. She reaches over, grabs the plug, pulls it out, 
uses it as a weapon against her older sister, right? I'm in the front of the house and I hear a child scream bloody murder in the back of the house, come running out. And so my middle child comes running out, holding her arm, screaming, she cut me, she cut me, she cut me. It was just a little scratch, but anyway, she cut me, she cut me, she cut me. And so I'm, I, I meet her in the den and I'm going, who cut you? There's a, there's a five-year-old back there, who cut you? And, and she goes, mercy cut me. And I said, oh, okay, well, hold on, hold on, mercy. Would you step out here, please, for just a moment? Mercy, literally, this is how Mercy walks out, right? Mercy literally walks out like this, hands in pocket, looking straight down like this, walking like this. Walks out in the den. And I said, Mercy, look at me. I said, did you? I couldn't believe I was saying the words. Did you cut your older sister? Mercy looks right back at me, and I, I, I swear to you, ladies and gentlemen, it's exactly what she said. Well, Daddy, she won't pick on me again. Just like that, right? <laughs> I'm like, at that moment, at that moment, you are my favorite child, right? <laughs> We're gonna go shopping and you're getting the coat of many colors. I mean, I'm telling you, this kid right here is everything I'd ever hoped for in a kid. And so, and so all of this had just happened. And so Gabe had this in his mind. And so I had to look at Gabe and go, Gabe, you're not ready. You're not ready. We would have a couple more conversations as the weeks would go by, but I will never forget about three weeks later, he came home from school, literally dropped his backpack in the front doorway and opened my office door at our home, shut the door behind him and you could just see something on his face. And I said, buddy, what's up? And this is what he said to me. We gotta have a guy talk right now, right? You know, which is code for one-on-one, -on -one, right? We need to, I said, well, sit down. What's What's on your mind and what's on your heart? And this is what he said to me. This is what he said to me. He said, Daddy, I just woke up this morning and went to school and I've known all day long that I'm the biggest sinner in the house and I need Jesus. I said, you're ready. You're ready. He said, do I need to go back to my room and get my Bible? I'm like, no, we're good. You're ready, right? This is where God wants you. And so we got on our knees and he asked Jesus to step out of heaven and into his heart and repented of his sins. And what's happening is this criminal on the cross has just witnessed the kindness of God. He is hanging next to the expressed desired will of God for mankind on full display. And it leads him to feel the full weight of his brokenness and his sin. And so he cries out to Jesus, I am the biggest sinner here today. And Jesus immediately responds with a word of affirmation. Oh, that we would be the types of churches who would welcome sinners with open arms. We see the second word, Probably my favorite word. I'm just gonna go ahead and throw that out there. If you're allowed to have favorites, this one's gonna be my favorite word, the word today. We see secondly, that Jesus immediately responds to a humble and repentant confessor. So let's look at this word today. It means exactly what you think it would mean, today. Now here's a little, a little, little, little historical tidbit that you probably already know being at a seminary, and that is the Romans did not invent crucifixion, but, but they pretty much perfected it, right? And when someone would be crucified, they would hang on a cross for, I mean, it was meant to be something that would torment an individual, not just for a handful of hours, but for a handful of days, 
right? So, so typically, if it was done correctly, no one died on day one unless there was a festival to get to and then they'd just kill them off or something like that. But typically, someone could and would hang on a cross for 48 to 72 hours, maybe even beyond in some rare cases, but nobody would die within a handful of hours if it was done right, if the soldiers were doing their job of crucifying and tormenting someone correctly. This is Jesus's last prophecy. Jesus, with this word, is predicting his own death, the timing, I should say, of his own death. He is looking at this criminal on the cross. He is looking at this humble and repentant confessor. And he is saying to him, you spent your whole life getting yourself into this mess. And I'm going to get you out today. He's saying, listen, you, you, you were tortured at sunset, but you will not agonize. Or you were tortured at sunrise, but you will not agonize at sunset. We're getting out of here today. I love the fact that it's, it's a lot of times people will look at Jesus on the cross. And one of the things I, I loved about my education here at Southeastern is, is that, that when we were taught that Jesus was, was never a victim, right? That Jesus was always at his best, that Jesus was the word became flesh, that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God and 100% one, that, that Jesus Christ was always at the top of his game. In other words, that's my, the, the message version of my education, right? Okay, that Jesus Christ was always at the top of his game. And, and, and so Jesus, I, 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 every time I hear somebody say, you know, Jesus knows how to relate to victims because Jesus was a victim. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ was never a victim. Jesus may have been victimized, but victim was never his identity. Jesus Christ was always more than a conqueror. Jesus Christ was able in this moment to still be in full control of the fact that they were putting him to death. He was allowing this to happen. And I love it when people go, no, no, they killed Jesus. If I remember right, I think Jesus said, I will be the one that will lay my life down. And oh, by the way, I'll also be the one that takes it up again. Jesus never played the victim's card. Now he was victimized, but he allowed that to happen to himself. That was not his identity. It was not who he was. So we see in this incredible text that Jesus is, is prophesying about his own death. Jesus is saying that that, that we're getting out of this situation right now, right here today. Can you imagine this criminal literally spent his whole life and the best that he could accomplish for himself was to get himself to death's door. But Jesus is always at his best and he offers this criminal life forevermore. Isn't that amazing? I hope that you'll write down in your notes something very simple, not profound, but very simple. Grace is forever amazing because grace is forever undeserved. And so we see Jesus goes, today, we're going home today. Number three, the phrase, you will be with me, 
You will be with me, Jesus says to this criminal. Jesus, the Savior who is sacrificed, forever welcomes the sinner needing salvation. In this statement, in this second statement from the cross, we see actually the full scope of the meta narrative of Scripture on display. See, how's that the case? Well, if we were to study this word, you will be with me today in paradise. Paradise. Now, the the criminal didn't say paradise, the criminal said kingdom. Now, the criminal. Does, has it been following Jesus for the last three years? He's been following Barabbas. He didn't know anything about, about, about the heaven that Jesus has been talking about, the kingdom of God that Jesus has been talking about. He's been following Barabbas. He just wants to overturn the Roman government. And, and so in his mind, he uses a word that we would think of when you think of a kingdom, a, a place with big buildings and tall walls and a strong military and, and something that if you were in the desert approaching from a distance, you would be able to see it from miles out because it was so massive and it was so big and it was so grand. That's the idea that this criminal has in his head. Hey, listen, would you remember me when you get to your kingdom? But Jesus responds to him and uses the word paradise. It's a fascinating word. It's an old Persian word, actually. And it's a Persian word that means walled garden. Now, if you were a Persian king, just think about this for a moment. Your security would be your military's highest like priority. So you didn't have the opportunity to just leave your compound, your castle, your whatever you want to call it, whenever you wanted to, and just walk wherever you wanted to without having military surround you for your own protection. So there at your, 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 your kingdom, at your, at your place of residence, at your compound, they would typically, a Persian ruler would typically have a place on their grounds that was a quiet place with lots of vegetation, with lots of, 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 of pl- an, I'm sorry, not animals, but plants from all over the world and, 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 and a wall with vines growing all up it and fruit trees. And it would just be a beautiful place that a Persian ruler could walk in and he could escape the, the, the crowds. He could escape the normal, if you will, uh, 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 responsibilities of being the, the ruler of his kingdom. And, and every once in a while, if that Persian ruler, watch this, I, the imagery here is so amazing. Amazing. Every once in a while, if that Persian ruler wanted to bestow on one of his citizens the highest honor that he could bestow, he would invite that citizen to his compound. He would invite that citizen to his place of residence. And then he would take that citizen, just him and that citizen, and they would go in that garden area and they would converse with one another. Does that sound familiar to you? In the beginning, we were placed in a garden and we got ourselves kicked out. The imagery here is so intentional. Jesus is saying, hey, in the beginning, you got yourself kicked out. Right here, right now, I'm going to get you back in. That's what's happening. You see, the full scope of creation, the fall, redemption, and even with the word paradise, restoration. God is saying, listen to me, I'm not just going to remember you. I'm going to take you with me. And when we get there, all things will be made new. Do you see this? Now, I know I'm about to get in trouble, but I'm going to quote a Catholic bishop 
from the mid-1900s, a fascinating, quirky guy that had a TV ministry by the name of Fulton Sheen. He was, he was a fascinating mind, and half the times you'd listen to him and go, he has to be a Protestant in Catholic clothing, you know, but, but, he, but he wrote a great book that's no longer in print on the, on the life of Christ, and when he was writing about this particular statement on the cross, and, 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 I, and I don't want to bore you, I hate reading to an audience, but this, I just, he said this of this statement. He goes, a dying man asked a dying man for eternal life. A man without possessions asked a poor man for a kingdom. A thief at the door of death asked to die like a thief and steal paradise. One would have thought a saint would have been the first soul purchased over the counter of Calvary by the red coins of redemption. I love that phrase, the red coins of redemption. But in the divine plan, it was a thief who would escort the king of kings into paradise. God makes all things new. Amen? And so we see that this you will be with me, this full scope of the grand narrative. Jesus' death is, is making a way back into conversational intimacy with God. Jesus' death is making it possible for us to live like we belong to heaven. Jesus' death, and I hope and I pray you never get over it, Jesus' death is making it possible. Look at me, ladies and gentlemen. It doesn't matter how many degrees you get, you have to always allow your life and your affections to revolve around this one idea. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross, that's how we're getting back home. Jesus' death is making it possible for us to go home again and not just to wander aimlessly and die without purpose. And when we go home, we're going to a place where he makes all things new. That's why he uses the imagery of a garden and new life grows in that garden. I can't help but think of Revelation 21 when John said that I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And I love verse four and five and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes there shall be no more death no more sorrow nor crying there shall be no more pain and, I, and we're about to get to the best phrase in the whole thing for the former things all the evil consequences all the brokenness of this world all of the war and the aloneness and the abuse and the disease and the death and the tears and the pain are now called former things. There is a real day on God's calendar when all that is broken will be former things. Amen. There is a real day on God's calendar when he will say enough is enough and make all things new again. Now, I know it's a Baptist seminary, so we have as many differences on the end times as we do students in this room. And every professor has two different interpretations on it. But at the end of the day, Jesus wins, all things are made new, and it's all good. Amen? And he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all 
things new. It's been a rough seven years in our household with my father. My dad, six and a half years ago, I should say six and a half. My dad, six and a half years ago, suffered a massive stroke. And the, 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 if you look at me, the, the left side of his body, the left side of his body is completely paralyzed. Now he can walk, but it's pretty rough. And he can talk, but he, he, eventually his words will get a little bit slurred. He'll get tired. His, his brain will get, if you've ever been around somebody that has a stroke, you know what I'm talking about. And, and, and so this stroke has had a profound impact, obviously, on his life. It's, it's, it's affected his life in a, in a negative way quite a bit. And, and, and I'll never forget, I, I, when it happened, I, I, was, I was speaking at an event in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, and, and I was at this church, and it was a student event with students from all over the city and beyond, and, and it wasn't my turn to speak. So they, this particular church has an actual prayer garden. I didn't know there was such a thing, but they had one, right? And so I made my way to their prayer garden, and it was like, nine o'clock at night and it was 40 degrees outside, which for a Florida boy means the end of the world, right? Okay, so I go, I go out to this prayer garden and I'm kind of chilly and shaking and I get on my knees and I beg God to do what I know God can do, but I didn't know if he would do. And that was to heal my dad. He can, why won't he? And I begged him to do that just like you would have. He wasn't supposed to live, but he lived. He wasn't supposed to walk again, but he walks. In six and a half years, I've <laughs> never heard him complain. I dropped him off at the airport uh, to go see, to fly to Colorado to see my sister, and I got him hooked up with the valet guy who would take him through security, you know? I have two million miles in the air, so I go in and out of that airport all the time. It's always busy. It's always crowded. He calls me a few hours later. He goes, Brent, I got to tell you a story. He goes, you dropped me off. The valet guy took me. We got on the train. There was nobody on the train. I said, Dad, that's not possible. I've flown out of that airport every week for the last 15 years. The train's always packed. He said, there was nobody on the train. And so I started talking to this man about his story and his life. We started talking about Jesus. And then we got to the gate and my flight gets delayed like an hour and a half. So that I can believe, right? Okay, you know, he said, my flight gets delayed like an hour and a half. So we get to sit there and talk for another hour and a half. And then they said, we're gonna start boarding the plane in about 10 minutes. And I looked at this guy and I said, I said, I said, does this make sense? Do you wanna exchange information? Or I mean, we, you can ask Jesus to step out of heaven into your life right now. You can follow Jesus out of this airport today, or we can keep talking. It's up to you, brother. And, and this guy said, you're telling me right here, right now, that I can start a relationship with Jesus. And my dad's sitting in his wheelchair in front of the gate with a bunch of angry people all around him and said, that's exactly what can happen. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, that valet guy who was pushing that little wheel with my dad in it to the gate said well okay then how, what do I do and my dad said well you, you just pray and this guy thought well that means I'll get on my knees so he got on his knees right next to the wheelchair and he held the wheelchair and he grabbed my dad's hand and he put his hand on he put my dad's hand on his head and he said pray for me as I pray and so my dad prayed for him as this man prayed and asked Jesus to step out of heaven and into his life and when my dad finished the story he said this to me Brent I probably would have never been able to introduce him to Jesus if I could have walked. And so right now, you say, what does this have to do with the text? Everything, watch this. 
Right now, this is how, if my dad walked in the back door, it'd take him 20 minutes to get to the front. And I'm not making fun of him, but this is what it would look like. And you would actually hear him as he walks. He would, and then you'd hear him talk because he has to tell himself what he's going to do next. And every once in a while, you might hear him pray or quote scripture. I, I, can, I you know, can do all things through Christ's strength. God's not giving me a spirit of fear because this is how hard, this is how he would walk today. Oh, but church, there's another day. I said, church, there's another day. Nobody limps into heaven, everybody runs. This criminal didn't go into heaven as a criminal. He went in as a child, a son of the living God. He went in restored and made new. Why? Because Jesus affirmed him. Because Jesus always affirms a bold and honest confession because Jesus responded to him immediately because Jesus didn't say, I'm gonna send you to a good place, but I'm gonna go there with you because that's how good Jesus is. And my prayer for you, and we see it in the last statements from Christ on the cross, particularly in this one, look at me and I'm done. It's that you never forget at the end of the day goodness of God in Christ Jesus. Why did Paul, boy, I tell you, Paul, huh, pretty smart guy, a giant among intellects. You know what word he mentions more than any other word? Grace. Over a hundred times in 13 letters. Why? Because he never got too far away from the fact that at the end of the day, God is good. Let's pray. Father, in the name of your son, Jesus, thank you for these amazing, amazing students and faculty, men and women. Thank you that we could open the word of God and study a bit this morning. Thank you that even in these moments in which you were dying on the cross, hanging between heaven and earth, thank you that even in that moment, oh Lord, you are still affirming us. That as you are dying for us, you are affirming us, you are responding to us, and you are welcoming us. Lord, thank you that the point of going to heaven one day is simply to be with you, Jesus. Thank you that you are the Word made flesh, and thank you that in you we see the goodness of God. May we never move beyond that in our studies and in our preaching and our teaching and our counseling and, our, and in whatever the endeavors may be of our life. May at the end of the day, we simply be captivated by the fact that you are good. I'm gonna ask us if we would, before I say amen, all across this room, to simply very quietly stand to our feet. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. And as soon as I say amen, my brother's gonna begin. Go ahead and pat, my brother's gonna begin to lead us. I love the fact that we have two songs at the end of the service. I think that it's, that's the right order. Uh, praise shouldn't lead to preaching. Preaching should lead to a response of praise. And so I'm going to say amen. And as soon as I say amen, we're going to begin to sing. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, 
We hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.